everyone. This is Shannon Balloon, and you're listening to the Middle Grade Matters Podcast. On this show, I talk to authors and publishing professionals about the world of middle grade books, from writing them and publishing them to encouraging kids to read them. If you're a teacher, librarian, writer, or reader, this is the podcast for you. So please follow us on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. And now, on to the show. My guest today is middle grade author Chad Lucas. Chad has been in love with words since he attempted his first novel on a typewriter in the sixth grade. He has worked as a newspaper reporter, communications advisor, freelance writer, part-time journalism instructor, and parenting columnist. His debut novel, Thanks a Lot Universe, was named a Junior Library Guild Gold Standard Selection and a Best Middle Grade Book of 2021 by the School Library Journal, New York Public Library, and Canadian Children's Book Center. His second book, Let the Monster Out, released in May 2022, and his third book, You Owe Me One Universe, released earlier this month. A proud descendant of the historic African Nova Scotian community of Lucasville, he lives with his family in Nova Scotia. He enjoys coaching basketball, and he's rarely far from a cup of tea. Chad, welcome and congratulations on your new book. Thank you very much. So I want to hear all about it, but first, could you please take us back to that first novel that you wrote on a typewriter in the sixth grade? (laughs) And let's talk about that journey and how that led you to where you are today. Sure. Uh, you know, I was a kid who who read a lot, which is probably a common story for a lot of authors, particularly middle grade authors. Um, one of my favorite authors when I was young and still really admire is uh, Gordon Corman, who's a Canadian writer uh, who actually wrote his first book as like a seventh grade English project and got it published when he was like 14 years old. So, you know, when I, I, I heard that as a kid and I'm like, yeah, Gordon Corman d- did it. He's a Canadian Maybe I can mm-hmm. do it too. Uh, so, you know, from that point on, I was kind of inspired to, to try to write my own stories. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, was, I grew up way back in the days when I had a typewriter before I had a, a home computer. I'm that old. Uh, I did and, too. <laughs> I, I, I learned how to type in high school on a typewriter. So, okay. yeah, <laughs> I you get know? it. So, so yeah, those kids was... out there have no idea how, how good they have it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I tell my kids that, they just kind of, you know, how old are you, Dad? <laughs> um, so yeah, I was I was always, you know, kind of an imaginative kid. I'd read like the Hardy Boys or whatever and kind of picture myself as like the third Hardy Boy. And so I'd be like making up all these adventures in my head. And so, uh, you know, I was always someone who was trying to make up stories and write stories. That's great. So sixth grade, you attempted to write, did you finish that first novel? I did. I mean, it was pretty, I, it's not really what you'd call the length of a novel now. It was more like a short story, but uh, yeah, it was uh-huh. all about a bunch of kids who played baseball and got up to hijinks. So it was very Gordon Corman-esque. <laughs> so, so did you, okay, I have to ask, because my kids went through the phase where they were writing books. Did they, uh, did you print off copies for your friends or try to sell it? I never tried to sell it. I printed a couple of copies. I don't think I gave it to very many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was always one of yeah. those kind of, you know, secretive authors. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So after that sixth grade novel, um, you've obviously come a very long way. Um, I guess when did you decide, okay, I think I want to try this, um, you know, professionally? Yeah, I mean, you know, after I didn't become a bestseller by 14, (laughs) I had to (laughs) rethink, you know, a little bit about, I knew that I always wanted to be a writer and wanted to make a living as a writer. Um, And, you know, 
I got into high school and sort of the practical side of my brain kicked in and thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a best-selling novelist straight out of high school, uh, what's another way that I might be able to actually make a living as a writer? So I, I studied journalism. I worked as a reporter for a long time. Basically, I've always made a living with words. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was sort of doing that as a day job, I was still, I mean, even from, you know, I had my first short story published when I was still in university um, and just always was writing short stories or working on novels. Um, you know, it took me a long time to kind of finally get one to the stage where it was published. But, you know, writing mm-hmm. fiction was always happening in the background or off the side of my desk or, you know, sometimes 12 o'clock at night when I got home from a shift as a sports reporter, I'd sit down and start working on a story. So it was a, you know, slower journey than I thought when I was 11, but uh, I got there eventually. Yeah. So were you always interested in writing middle grade, even when you were an adult, like when, when you were first starting to write as an adult? Yeah. I mean, I had some different ideas. I wrote some short stories that were published in more like adult literary journals, but the the stories that I kept coming back to and the ones that grabbed me were always, always seemed to have kids as protagonists. Uh, so, you know, eventually I thought, hey, maybe middle grade must be kind of where I should be writing. It was always those kids around sort of like 10, 11, 12. Those were always the, the stories that I were, I was drawn to as a writer. Yeah. And, and why do you think that is? What was it about that age group that really drew you? Yeah. I mean, I think... That was a formative time for me. I went through a lot of life changes right around junior high. Um, my dad ran a construction company that went bankrupt when I was like 11. And so we went from, you know, I had this nice childhood home where we lived near a lake where all my friends were. And then we ended up moving something like five times in four years. And so it was a period of a lot of disruption in my own life. And, you know, books were sort of my constant and my refuge in those days. I would, um, you know, go to the library and basically check out as many books as my card would let me and sort of read some of my favorites over and over. So I think, you know, it was a formative time for me just in life in a lot of changes, but also it was a, a time when I really retreated to those books that were a comfort for me, uh, you know, so the middle grade, early YA kind of reading. So I think, I think that probably has something to do with it. And two, I just, I find that age so interesting. You know, I, I, I do coach basketball, I have kids, and I've always, it's sort of the 12, 13-year-olds that I really enjoy. <laughs> They're a lot mm-hmm. of fun. They're kind of just, <laughs> you know, coming into their own, discovering the world, testing out their sense of humor. Uh, so it's, it's a fun age that I still really enjoy. A lot of people yeah. find that age scary, but I actually really like it. Thanks a lot, Universe, was your debut novel. Was that the first... Um full-length middle grade novel you took seri- like wrote seriously and looked to querying it to agents? Or had you been writing novels for a while? Yeah, actually, the first one that, you know, I really sort of finished and got to a place that I took it out to publishers and then agents. And, um, you know, I, like a lot of people, I kind of fumbled my way <laughs> into figuring out what <laughs> I really wanted to do or what was the right way to go about trying to sell a book. But yeah. it was actually Let the Monster Out, which was my second book. Huh, um, right. And it was called something different in the early days. Uh, it's one okay. of those ones that has sort of grown and evolved. But that one actually, I would say, was finished or to a place where I was shopping it around before Thanks a Lot Universe. And so, you know, I, I took it out. It's one of those ones where I, I took it out. 
got some thanks buts or you know I like this part but um, and so I put it away for a while worked on some other things and eventually came to thanks a lot universe out of that um, and then ended up coming back to let the monster out later um, but even thanks a lot universe was one where you know I had the idea of the character of Brian the main character and kind of what happens to him like really early on like I had that idea with me for probably a decade before I really finished it as a book. Um, so again, yeah, I've always kind of had a couple of ideas and projects on the go, like a lot of writers, I think, you know, had those stories that were near and dear to me and just had to figure out how to tell them and, and sometimes the right timing of, of when they're ready mm-hmm. to come out. Yeah. Um, so when you went to Query, Thanks a Lot Universe, which is the book that became your debut, um, what was that process like? So that one, actually, it's interesting. I, I, I'd gone back out with Let the Monster Out and was getting some interest. And then um, I was working closely with um, uh, another writer who had been a mentor on Let the Monster Out, Rebecca Petrak, mm-hmm. um, who is a fabulous mentor. I think a lot of folks in the Kidlet community have known and worked with Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, hey, I have this other manuscript. I was looking at Pitch Wars, actually, the, the Pitch Wars contest. I'm like, do you think I should put this in? Should I keep querying? Uh, and so I, I gave it to Rebecca. She read it. She's like, hey, look, you know, this this is really good. Why not? Go for it. So I actually ended up uh, entering um, Thanks a Lot Universe in Pitch Wars uh, and then ended up working with Eric Bell on that, who's become another, who was a great mentor, who's become a, a really good friend. Um and so I ended up querying Thanks a Lot Universe kind of after Pitch Wars. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes being in a contest can kind of help attract agents. Uh, and so I ended up connecting with, with my agent through that, actually. Uh, and so, Pitch yeah. Wars, for, for those that may not be familiar, it's unfortunately it's no longer out there, but yeah. it, was, it was for a long time. So you sent out queries. Um, did it take you a long time to find the right agent? No, not after Pitch Wars. And I mean, so I will say, uh, you know, I had queried other manuscripts like, you know, I'd probably, I, like like a lot of writers, I have like the hundred plus rejections stored away in a, in a these <laughs> you days paid in your a spreadsheet. Dues. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. been around long enough that I even have a few like physical, back in the day when you like oh, mail, mailed yeah. things out, I've got a couple like physical rejection slips and lots yeah. of, lots of emails. Um, yeah. but, but out of pitch wars, no, it was, it actually ended up being a, a pretty, pretty quick process. I connected mm-hmm. with, with Krista Heschke, uh, and I had a few others who were interested, but just really connected with, with Krista and, uh, mm-hmm. and Danielle Hunter who works with her. And, uh, it's, it's been a great fit yeah. ever since. So what was the submission process like for you when you went out on sub? Um, you know, Krista and Danielle kept me really informed. Uh, there was a bit of, you know, it's 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 funny. Like it's it's kind of like being back in that querying a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like, oh, will somebody like my book? Um, with a bit of a buffer, having an agent, which was which was nice. So you know, Krista would kind of keep me posted, and we had a couple of, um, you know, near misses, like people who were like, hey, would you re- think about redoing this? And then just kind of got to the acquisitions level, and they're their their team wasn't just totally sold on it so you know that was kind of a little bit disappointing and those things happen but uh it was a relatively i mean i think probably six months all told before i ended up uh 
getting an, a good offer from Abrams. And, you know, these days, I think that's probably not a very drawn out, long and drawn out process. No, you know, it's it not. much longer than that. So, <laughs> not at all. So, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, really, I don't have much to complain about, like anything else. Yeah. You know, there are a couple that's of, great. you know, kind of close calls and disappointments, uh, but ultimately ended up well. And to be honest, um, I'm happy. I'm really happy with the way it went. And, you know, the first one was with, you know, kind of a big five publisher that just wasn't quite into it. And, you know, you think, oh, it'd be so nice to be with a big five. But then, you know, if you're with a big five that they're not totally 100% behind it or really excited about it, you know, I've had people who've had some really unfortunate experiences that way too. So, you mm-hmm. know, I've been really happy being with a, a bit of a smaller publisher that has been really supportive and kind of involved in the whole process. So that's been great. So I'd, I'd love to know more about that. W- what does that mean to you? Is it is it promotions? Is it um, editing? What exactly um, has it been like working with Abrams? Uh, so I've had a fantastic editor, Emily DeLuga. Uh, can't say enough wonderful things about her. Um, you know, just really, really got the heart of my stories and what I was trying to do. So like anytime she would suggest something to me, you know, I'd be like, yeah, that just makes so much sense. And especially, you know, and we'll probably talk about this more in a bit, but my next book is a sequel to my first book. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coming back to the same characters, like some of the, I was like, Emily knows these kids as well as I do, you know, yeah. their suggestions were just so great. Um, but yeah, you know, being really involved in, in the cover process in just every step of the way, it feels like they've been really good at keeping me included and, and, um, yeah, just putting me out there for panels and things like that. It's it's been a good experience for me all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your new book. So you owe me one universe. Um, this is a continuation of the story of Brian and Ezra from mm-hmm. Thanks a Lot Universe, which I loved, my daughter loved, and I know a lot of readers loved that book. Um, so I was really happy to see another story about them. Can you tell us what that book is all about? Sure. So you owe me one universe picks up about four months after Thanks A Lot Universe. Um, so it's, it's kind of the fall of the next year. Brian and Ezra are into the eighth grade. Um, and Brian's kind of just adjusting to what he calls life part two. Things are a little bit different. Uh, his mom is home. Um, his father is not. His father, you know, is kind of dealing with the consequences of, of what happened in the first book. Um, and so Brian's adjusting, but you know, he's, he's got friends. He feels like, he feels like he should be in a good place. You know, he's, he's made a lot more friends. He's, he's built up some resiliency. Uh, and for a while he's doing really great. He he makes a school basketball team. Things are going really well. Uh, and then he finds that he's just, he's struggling again and he's not really sure why. Uh, and so he kind of, kind of spirals a little bit and has to deal with that. Um, and, you know, in the midst of this, he and Ezra are kind of working out their, their complicated friendship and trying to figure out if they're just friends or more than friends. Um, and, and as this is happening, you know, Ezra's gearing up for the school talent show and he starts connecting a little bit with, with Victor, who was, you know, pretty, pretty nasty to Brian in book one. Um, but Victor is a talented musician. He's kind of showed up in a different way in grade eight. And, you know, Ezra is dealing with, he's starting to get to know Victor, but kind of feels like he's betraying Brian and, you know, wants them to kind of work it out. And so just these complex kind of messy relationships are Mm -hmm. happening as they often do in junior high. Um, So yeah, it kind of follows them through their eighth grade school year. 
this one was fun to write because it's it's a little bit different. You know, Thanks a Lot Universe is really basically happens in about a month. It's a pretty compact time period. And this one takes place over a bit longer time. So I get to, you know, lengthwise, it's it's around the same length. It's a little bit longer, I think. But, you know, I get to explore a little bit kind of different pacing, different periods in their lives and flesh out some of the relationships that you see in, in book one, like even with like Ty and Kevin and the friends and things like that. So it was a lot of fun to be able to write this sequel. Brian is very open about his anxiety. Um, he even has a funny name for it, which he refers to as Saul's. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, super awkward weirdo syndrome. <laughs> that is super just awkward weirdo syndrome. I think it's great yeah. that he can kind of laugh about something that, you know, he, he really has to deal with quite a bit. Yeah, I make up another funny acronym in this book, but I won't spoil that yet. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the joke for anyone. <laughs> So um, could you tell us about his struggles with anxiety, Brian's struggles with anxiety, and why you made this a part of, of this story, his story? Yeah, I mean, I guess the why is, you know, I think it's something that a lot of middle graders deal with, uh, you know, particularly more and more. I mean, I did to some degree at that age, and I, we wouldn't have, we didn't really call it anxiety back then, and we didn't talk about it to the degree that we do these days. So, you know, I think, I think it's an important part of kind of normalizing it and being able to talk about it. Um, and I wanted to show too that, you know, sometimes we even, we stereotype what an anxious kid looks like. Um, and, you know, again, I've, I've coached a lot of basketball. I've dealt with some really great athletes who struggle with anxiety. Um, and we're still not great about talking about that in the sport world. Again, it's getting better there too, but uh so, you know, I wanted to show that, you know, on one hand in this book, there's a lot of basketball in this book. So mm -hmm. <laughs> if you like yeah, basketball, you'll like that. Um, and so I wanted to show, you know, Brian's having success on the basketball court. He's doing really well, but he's still struggling with anxiety. And I wanted to kind of, again, normalize that, that this is something that a lot of young athletes deal with too. And, you know, we're getting away from the sort of man up kind of hyper macho view of, of what it means to be an athlete, but there still is some of that for sure. So, you know, the more we talk about it and the more we kind of normalize that, Hey, lots of kids deal with these things. doesn't matter if you're a musician, if you're an artist, if you're a shy kid, you know, we sort of sometimes stereotype that it's just, well, the shy kids are the anxious ones, but you know, it's, it can right. be a lot more than that as well. So wanted to kind of put that, put that out there. Yeah. And Brian sees a therapist. Um, and throughout the book, he talks about it very openly, very comfortably. Um, and it, you know, I, I think that, you know, you talk about normalizing anxiety. I think it's equally as important to normalize seeking help for mental health issues. And um, I thought it was great that kids are going to see this, parents are going to see this, educators are going to see this. Um, was this something you were thinking about when you were writing this book? Yeah, for sure. Again, I think that's part of it, right? It's it's that there's not, you know, that there shouldn't be some, you shouldn't be seen as there's something wrong with you if you see a, a therapist right. or it shouldn't be stigmatizing. Uh, so yeah, I wanted that to be, again, part of just making this a normal conversation that, hey, yeah, sometimes we all mm -hmm. need to talk to, to somebody, whether it's a professional or you know, an educator that we trust or, but you know, it's, it's helpful to be able to have these conversations with people. Yeah. Um, 
At the start of this book, we find out that Ezra has a crush on Brian, and Brian is trying to figure out whether he feels the same way about Ezra. And it's it's sweet, and it's awkward, and I know a lot of kids um, will relate to that to that story. But my question is, as a middle grade writer, how do you decide how far you can take the romance? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, because there's such a spectrum in middle grade too, right? Like we would be fooling ourselves if we think that there are not 12 and 13 year olds who are going farther than the things that we put in our books. Uh, but right. then you have, you also have like super innocent kids who like do not think about, you know, romance at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to find that, that sweet spot. That's what works for this group. Um, uh, and I think, you know, it's just kind of, it's those feelings of like firsts that, that you really experience a lot of at this age, like those first crushes or those first kisses or the, you know, the first time your hand grazes another kid's hand and you feel that flutter in your belly. Uh, so really kind of drawing out those things and, and what that feels like, what those emotions are like, what it does to your heart and to your head as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I see that firsthand in my own house <laughs> right now with my children. So I know it's something that, um, yeah, it's interesting to watch them discover those things for the first time. Yeah. Um, this book is written in dual points of view. And um, I'd like to talk about this for a minute. But first, could you explain to our listeners what exactly that means? Sure. So essentially, there's two main points of view in the story. So I alternate between you know, one chapter is written in the first person from Brian's perspective. So in Brian's voice, and then the next chapter is written in first person from Ezra's perspective. So in Ezra's voice. So, you know, I did that in the first book as well and, and, and continued through in this book to kind of bounce back and forth from one, one chapter mm -hmm. from Brian, one chapter from Ezra. Yeah. You get to see the story from two completely different perspectives. Um, so I know writing uh, multiple points of view has its challenges. One of those, um, which I think is particularly difficult, is making sure that the voices sound distinct. Mm -hmm. um, how did you accomplish this in your books? Yeah. So I tried to think a lot about, you know, the personalities and how they would tell a story. Um, you know, Brian is very analytical, <laughs> tends to overthink a lot. So, and I tried to reflect some of these things, even in the way, like the stylistic things I did in their chapters. So, you know, Brian's tend to sometimes be more in his head. Um, he'll, there's a lot of like lists and things in Brian's chapters, like where I organize his, his thinking in terms of like, you know, lists of things that might worst case scenarios that might happen to him and things like <laughs> right. that. Um, and then Ezra, you know, Ezra's more extroverted, he's more jokey, he's more outgoing. Um, so there tends to be more dialogue in Ezra's chapters. Um, it tends to be, you know, Brian, Brian's pretty funny in his own way, but, you know, Ezra's very jokey, so sometimes more jokes in Ezra's chapters. Uh, so, so yeah, even just in the ways that I, I tried to write them, like just the forms of their chapters are a little bit different as well. Interesting. That's very interesting. Um, what did you like most about writing this this book? It was really fun to come back to these characters and get to develop them further. Um, 
you know, when you're writing a sequel, you're not starting from scratch, right? Like, you know, your characters, you've, you've got a history with them. Uh, so it was fun to be able to not only just the main characters, but even like to, to bring out a little bit more of like Ty and Kevin and some of the side characters, um, and Victor, to be honest, I had a lot of fun with this book and writing Mm -hmm. Victor and, and kind of expanding on him. Cause you know, I really try not to make any characters one dimensional, like, you know, just the bully and just is there for plot purposes kind of thing to antagonize the main character. So it was really fun to dig into the characters a little bit more and, and see where the journey takes them. You know, in some ways this was an easier book to write for that reason, but then in other ways, you know, you kind of have to stay on track with the first book. Like it can't be totally different because uh, that would, you know, might upset readers. Right. Uh, so it, 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 it came with its, its pluses, but also its challenges as well. Uh, yeah. You know, I had so many people tell me after the first book, like, oh, Brian and Ezra better get together. And so I'm like, oh, <laughs> I wonder what those people will think of this book. I'm not going to spoil it too much, but I probably yeah. didn't go exactly where they thought I might go. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it comes with its its challenges and pressures as well when you write a sequel. Yeah. Um, what was the most difficult part of writing this book? I think just narrowing down exactly where I wanted to go in a sequel. You know, I had kind of a lot of ideas and it was just how do you hone them in and find what is the most important story to tell? Uh, my first drafts for this one were really like long and rambling and a lot more than ended up in the final book. Cause yeah, I just felt like I had gotten to know these characters so much and I had all these little things to peel to, to pop in and had to sort of hone in and really focus on the story. Yeah. Will there be a third book about Brian and Ezra and these other friends of theirs? I feel like I leave this one in a good place. I don't ever want to say no, uh, but I feel satisfied at the end of this book. Um, you know, I've already seen people say like, oh, I hope there's a third one. So, so we'll see, uh, you know, it might, I might be inspired to come back to them. But if there's not, I, I will say if there isn't, I would feel happy with where it ends here. But mm, you know, mm-hmm. I'll never say never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you hope that young readers will take away from reading this book? Uh I mean, first of all, I hope they just really enjoy it. You know, I think that's always my first hope as an author. It's just that a kid will get really into these characters and into the story. Um, but, you know, I do hope that kids do see a bit of themselves or, you know, if they don't see themselves, that they can maybe empathize with someone in their class or someone in their life who might be going through some of the same things that Brian and Ezra are going through. Um, you know, that has been as a writer, that's the thing that's meant the most to me is when I get those emails from kids who say like, you know, I didn't know that other people felt this way until I read this book. And it just made me realize that I'm not alone. Or, you know, this book made me realize something about myself that I hadn't even really thought about before. So it, those kind of emails really make your day as an author. Uh, so, you know, I hope more kids can kind of I guess, just feel encouraged or strengthened from reading a story where they they see little bits of themselves reflected in it. Do you find that more boys are reading your book or girls, or is it equal? Do you have any idea about that? Only anecdotally, but it's definitely a mix. I I find, 
I think girls tend to, and again, this is a generalization, so take it with a grain of salt, Mm -hmm. but girls tend to be more expressive in that, like more likely to send an email probably to an author and say, Mm. hey, I really like this, you know, but I have had those emails from boys. I've had boys kind of quietly come up to me at schools and say, I really liked your book or things like that. Uh, So it's definitely a mix for sure. Yeah. Um, Do you have a writing routine? And if so, what does it look like? I try to have a writing routine. Life doesn't always (laughs) let me. And I kind of have the grace for myself that I'm, you know, I am not uh, every day at this time, I'm in my chair doing this thing. Um, I work a day job. I have four kids. I do community stuff. So it's not always easy to sit down at the same time every day. Um, I, I do a lot on the weekends. You know, I tend to get up. My t- kids are all teenagers now. So, you know, early in the morning is when my house is usually quietest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're all sleeping. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we've reached that stage where they all sleep in for the most part. Yeah. Um, I take my laptop with me on the bus. I write or edit on my morning commute to work sometimes. Uh, so it's really just finding those times whenever I can throughout the day. Yeah. Do you um, like to listen to music while you're writing or do you prefer silence? I do like music uh, and I find it helps me, again, zero in and tune out background noise, especially if I'm on the bus or if I'm at home and the kids are like all playing video games at the same time loudly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, having music helps. So I, I do a lot of, you know, instrumental, like electronic. So like it's got a beat, it's got some propulsion, but there's not a lot of lyrics to distract me. Uh, so that tends to be my my go-to when I'm listening to music when I'm writing. And do you like to plot out your story before you write or are you a pantser? I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I have an outline. I like to know where I'm ending up, but like I'm the kind of writer who makes an outline and usually deviates from it by like chapter three. Uh, so I find my first draft, I really have to just figure out what story I'm trying to tell. I kind of have to write my way through it. Um, and then I get to the end of that first draft and really try to hone in on, okay, what am I actually trying to say here? And what is the actual story here? So my first drafts tend to be long and messy and (laughs) and then I figure it out from there. (laughs) So do you prefer writing that first draft or do you prefer once you are able to dive into the editing? editing? I like editing a lot better. Yeah. The first drafts (laughs) feel like a slog sometimes. Like there's fun parts, right? When you're just kind of throwing everything at the wall. And, but, uh, I, I do, I much prefer to have a finished first draft and something to edit than just the starting from scratch. That still mm-hmm. feels daunting every time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I know your day job and or your background, it's it's all writing related. Um, but do you have craft books that you refer to or that you like to, to use or that you would recommend? I don't do a lot of reading of craft books, to be honest. I I tend to be more of a I like to study what other authors do. So, you know, I'll try to like close read a, an author that I really like and think about what's working, what are they doing well? You know, how does this scene, what is it about the scene that has me in hysterics? You know, what are the things that they're <laughs> doing? Um, so, you know, I, I will read them on occasion. I probably the standard ones that most people have read, but uh, I tend to be more of a just really trying to study other writers. Mm-hmm. There is a good dose of humor in your stories. Is uh, uh, does that come naturally to you? I think that writing humor could be really difficult. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I guess, again, it goes back to what I've always really liked. Like Gordon Corman mm-hmm. is, yeah. can be very, very funny if you've read any Gordon Corman, right? And that I was have. always the what appealed to me as a kid. So I think, again, yeah, it comes down to what your what your preference is and what you enjoy. And yeah, for me, I like to be able to laugh sometimes. Like even in, you know, in a, there's some heavy stuff in my books as well, as you know. Oh, for uh, sure. I, yeah. I like to be able to balance it out with with some levity here and there as well. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think just so much funny, absurd stuff happens to middle graders, right? Like if you spend any time around them, like every basketball team I've ever coached, there's always like two or three kids who will just have me in hysterics all the time. <laughs> Usually there's the same two kids who like make me want to pull my hair out sometimes. Uh, right. But those kids will crack me up. Uh, so, you know, I think humor is a big part of what life is like in junior high. Like you kind of have to see the humor in it to survive junior high in some ways. So I think humor is a, an important thing at this age. When you feel stuck in your writing, what gets you going again? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Sometimes it can be just reading or watching something else to kind of get some other creative juices going. Um, I'm a runner, like in the sense that I run to be active. I wouldn't say like I'm a great runner or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, But running is one of the ways I stay physically fit and, and it can help me, you know, when you're out on the trail or whatever, just your mind kind of wanders. So I find getting out and doing something physically can help me as well sometimes. Uh, yeah, just kind of stepping away for a little bit and, and marinating on whatever that thing is you're stuck on. That tends to be what I do. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? So I'm working right now on what will be my fourth book. Uh, don't want to say a, a whole lot about it yet, but I will say it's it's very different from my first three. Uh, so it's been um, really interesting and really challenging to write. Uh, it's different kind of genre-wise, a lot more sort of world-building type stuff. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's one that has definitely stretched me and challenged me. Uh, it's with, with my editor right now, so awaiting her feedback. Um, but it's it's been really fun to write as well. And that one, I think, is supposed to be out toward the end of 2024. That's exciting. I can't wait to hear more about it. C- can I ask, is it is it middle grade like your others? Yeah, it's still, still middle grade. Uh, again, still, <laughs> we struggle with, and this is probably shows up in the fact a lot of my books tend to be upper middle grade. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. I often even struggle with where does this book fit in terms of like yeah. age categories. So yeah, uh, I will say middle grade at this point. But yeah, and that and that's why I asked earlier, like you know, what what can you put into a middle grade and have it still be middle grade? So yeah. and and I I mean I think too it's important that upper middle grade is so important. You know, I think I'm not alone in observing this, but you know, even some of my kids, right, like avid avid readers until they're. 13, 14, and then they hit this period where middle grade suddenly feels too young, but they don't necessarily want to be reading entirely about 18-year-olds. And, you know, they they tend to drop off in terms of how much they read. Um, my oldest two have come back to, you know, reading. So, but I've noticed with, with, with most of my kids, there's sort of this lull around 14, 15 when they're, I mean, it's, you have to search really hard to find a book with a 14 or 15 year old protagonist. Mm -hmm. It feels like, 
Um, and not that kids entirely need to be reading just about kids their own age, but you know, if you totally disappear from from the grid entirely at fourteen or fifteen, well, you know, what does that kind of say to those kids? Um, so, you know, I I think it is important to have those sort of upper middle grade books that appeal to kids who are, you know, maybe getting to the beginning of YA, but they don't want to dive full into reading about like high school seniors or college kids and there needs to be something for them to help help bridge that gap. So do you have a favorite middle grade book of all time? It would be impossible to pick one. And if you ask me tomorrow, I might give you a different answer. But I really love The Inquisitor's Tale by Adam Gidwitz. Um, that's one that I really enjoy. And I mentioned that one too, because it kind of inspired a little bit or has had an influence on the book I'm working on now. So I'll say that much about my work in progress. Um, <laughs> but I really love that book. And it's interesting because like, I wouldn't say sort of historical fiction is my favorite genre or anything like that, but I love the way it's written. I love the characters. I love the subject matter. It's just got such a clever sort of plot structure with all these different narrators who are uh, some more reliable than others. And uh, it's, it's one of those books that I love the story of it, but I also, it's one that I come back to to be like the, how did he make that magic happen? Like to study as a writer as well. Mm. I don't know that book. I'll have to check it out. It sounds really interesting. It's, yeah, it's really great. It's sort of, uh, it's called the inquisitor's tale or three magical children and their holy dog. Uh, it's, a really, <laughs> it's a really fascinating book. It sounds fascinating. I'm yeah. definitely going to check that one out. Yeah. Um, so what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm currently listening to the audiobook, and I find I move more and more to, to audiobooks as well. Uh, you know, they're great for when I'm out on a run or mowing the lawn or whatever. I really like audiobooks right now. Um, but the audiobook of Matteo by Michael Leali. Um, I loved his first book, The Civil War of Amos Abernathy. Uh, really great um, book about a queer boy who's really into Civil War reenactments, which again, like just the description, like that is not mm-hmm. something that interests me whatsoever. But yeah, but the story itself, it's really great. And it's all about sort of discovering sort of the people who are erased in the typical ways we tell history uh, in, and done in a really great way for middle grade. Uh, mm. So really loved his first book. Um, Mateo is, is, again, it's kind of different. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a play on sort of the Pinocchio story. Uh, so I'm only not quite halfway in, but it's a boy who, you know, is kind of struggling to fit in, wants to, you know, be like the baseball star because all his friends play baseball, but very odd things start happening to his body. Like he's kind of turning into a tree <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> so, uh, you know, really curious to see where it goes, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Michael Leali. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so right, what right now is bringing you joy? What is bringing me joy? Um, This is going to sound corny and cliche, but parenthood in a lot of ways. You know, my kids are all high schoolers right now. And anytime I say that I have three teenagers, people like make that face like, oh, you poor person. Uh, But I actually, it's such a fun stage. Mm. I, I really enjoy the conversations I have with my kids right now. I enjoy the jokes that they tell. It's, and I mean, you know, it's, it, definitely has its moments when you have four teenagers in the house but it for the most part it's it's a lot of fun 
Um, you know, we, we took a family vacation a couple of weeks ago, well, late in August, I guess now we're, well, now that we're later into the fall, it's more than a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you know, just that time together where we're like, and we didn't even do a whole lot. We like played a lot of cards. We went on little hikes and things like that. But I just, the, the older they get and, you know, as a parent, you realize that they're going to go their separate ways some days, but I really enjoy that time. We get together, just like goofing around together. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Uh, one final question for you before I let you go. What advice would you like to offer new writers? I think when I think about, you know, myself setting out, I think it's community is really important. Um, you know, sometimes we stereotypically think of writing as sort of a solitary pursuit. Uh, and it is in a lot of ways. You've got to, got to wrestle with just sitting down and putting words on, on the page or on the computer screen. Um, but having people to, you know, share your successes with, to commiserate with um, is really important. Uh, I, I found that I've needed that more than I thought I might have uh, at one point. Uh, it's really good. And it's, yeah, it's really good to have those people you can trust, you can support, you know, cheer them on when they succeed. Uh, yeah, just who you can bounce ideas off of. So yeah, I think that would be my biggest uh, advice to young writers is, is find your community. And I know sometimes that's, that's harder than it sounds, but, uh, you know, find the people, whether it's if you're school or you know if you can find an online community or however you manage to do it um just find the people who will be there for you and will support you and that's not necessarily everybody i think the other piece of advice i would give is always <laughs> learn to take advice with a grain of salt because uh, mm -hmm. you'll hear a lot of ideas and anyone who's queried for long enough will know you know i had one day i remember where i had one rejection that was like you leave too much unsaid and then the very next day, I got a rejection that said, you over explain too much in this story, like totally opposite conflicting advice. So, uh, you know, you always have to learn to, to take advice and feedback with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, find your people you can trust who, who will be there for you uh, no matter what. I love that. Chad, thanks so much for joining me. Um, good luck with You Owe Me One Universe. And I can't wait to hear what's coming out next. Thanks very much. And thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Middle Grade Matters podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our audiobook partner, Libro FM. With Libro FM, you can choose from more than 400,000 audiobooks and see lists of audiobooks recommended on the Middle Grade Matters podcast. For more information, go to Libro.fm slash Middle Grade Matters and enter the code CHOOSEINDY for a free audiobook with a paid membership. If you're enjoying the Middle Grade Matters podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And tune in again for more great episodes. I'll see you next time.